John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And good morning here on this Tuesday. Uh, we're getting through the beginning of this week. And, of course, week four in the books in the National Football League. Got some big events coming up, of course, today. Uh, NBA is going to continue with Game 4. Lakers going against the Heat. And, of course, you've got the Storm at 4 o'clock trying to see if they can wrap up another championship. They're fourth. So we got lots to get into. Let's get into the four biggest story, five biggest stories of the day. Number one. We didn't get after it as much this week, though. You know, We did change that and didn't feel like it, it was necessary in this game to go there. Um, but and, and let me say this, too. It does have something to do with Jamal in, in that he's an incredible pressure guy and we love sending them and all that so um, but we, we we changed it by design and, and to make sure that we just slowed it down we just need to do a better job yeah so the defense of course uh not as aggressive as it has been because certainly with ryan neal filling in at the safety position wanted to make it a lot simpler and of course you know you had trey flowers filling in a cornerback for quinton dunbar and uh you have still you know a little young at the uh, linebacking core right now uh, going with you know cody barton and all that stuff so in the end uh they just didn't blitz as much which of course is not which is smart just wanted to keep everything in front of them certainly they got to do better on third down stopping and then also still you know they gave it didn't give up the chunk plays on defense that they did before i think what was only one play over 25 yards so that was encouraging so you put all that together and you get a victory and they're four and oh now this should be a busy day today because two players visiting we already knew that damon snacks harrison was going to be in town and he's in town but the surprise is going to be michael kendricks you know coming off the acl injury he gets a chance to uh, come in and see if he can kind of fit in. Uh, don't know if they want to get him to the practice squad or if they want to get him uh, in as a, uh, as a linebacker, you know, knowing they're not going to have Jordan Brooks now for a little bit of time. So that's kind of interesting. He spent two years with Seattle and really did a good job. Uh, he's still awaiting that insider training charge sentencing, which has now gone on for a couple years. But, uh, you know, you kind of get the feeling that nothing big's going to happen out of that. Harrison, of course, played with the Lions last season. And, you know, you could tell he wanted to get out of there without any question. Didn't like Matt Patricia. Kind of got a little bit heavy. Uh, did well as a run-stopping defensive tackle with the New York Giants. Also played for the Jets. Now, what you can look at is that uh, the defense right now is, uh, you know, tr- is trying to see if there's additions that they can make. I guess Kendricks is a possibility to maybe even rush, uh, put his hand down and rush. Uh, I don't think there's anything seriously wrong with Jordan Brooks, but again, it's an MCL injury, and normally the, it was a first degree, so that's probably you know two, maybe three weeks. So he'll be available, I think, after the bye week. Jake Heaps will be stopping by at 10:30. We're going to discuss the Seahawks defense. Number two, did Bill O'Brien, the general manager, get Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired? I would say yes. Did Bill O'Brien, the head coach do anything with the talent that Bill O'Brien, the general manager, gave him? I would say, not really. What's well, Keyshawn Johnson talking about uh, you know, Bill O'Brien being fired as a coach and general manager of the Houston Texans after an 0-4 start? Now, he uh, ended up with a 52-48 record, but he really messed the team up as far as his maneuvers as a general manager. Like, for example, last year, uh, he traded Jadevian Clowney, uh, and all he has left for it is Jacob Martin. You know, Barkevius Mingo ended up leaving in free agency, and, so, and they have a third-round pick who's a linebacker who barely gets on the field. So they didn't get impact for him. 
They make the trade for DeAndre Hopkins. They had, uh, what, four players at wide receiver making a combined $44 million a year, a $39 million quarterback, a $283 million payroll. They had two... uh, Let's see. Uh, let's see. Left tackles making twenty-two millions. David Johnson's thirteen a year, and I've got a center at Nick Martin making eleven. It just didn't work, and so he goes. And I think what happened is Bob McNair's wife, uh, who doesn't run things, I think just got so fed up with O'Brien and how bad the situation is, and things are going to be so bad that they don't have a first-round pick next year because they traded away for Laramie Tunsil. And with that in mind, they uh, were giving away maybe a top-five pick. You know, you kind of get the idea that uh, down the line that Josh McDaniels may be a head coaching candidate down there because of some ties that uh, they have. Romeo Cornell's taking over as the interim. We're going to talk to Sean Salisbury to discuss O'Brien's firing, and he'll be joining us at 11. Number three. Here he is. second drop of the night and this one cost his team a touchdown well with no cam newton they had bad play at quarterback uh they started with brian hoyer they went to jared stidham and nothing worked kansas city ended up getting the victory 26 to 10 so they remain undefeated the pa- uh, patriots now losing two row games one in seattle and one in kansas city they're two and two they hope that cam newton's going to be able to play and there's a chance he can turns out the non-symptomatic as far as his covid covid uh, COVID-15 or 19 test and so uh, that he has a chance because the way it works if he did have symptoms then uh, he'd have to sit out 10 days but we'll see if he's going to be able to play this week. Kansas City of course continues uh, to just play great football. I mean again not the you know that's not as sharp as say some other teams like you know make Green Bay and maybe Seattle but their defense held in there very well and I'd say right now you have to still say that Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes that's the best team in football. Number four. Yeah, I like where we're at. I really do. I, I like uh, the kind of diversity in our approach. I think, again, Matt was, uh, um, you know, really good uh, kind of mix-up tonight with the uh, with the calls. Obviously, we had to do some different things without Devontae and then without Allen and without Mercedes. Uh, but I thought, uh, you know, we had a nice plan, and then we executed really well. Well, it was a pretty easy victory, and the Atlanta Falcons continue to struggle. Dan Quinn, 0-4. Defense gives up 30 points. They've been giving up 30 points a game since the start of the season. That's been their average. And so the Packers are now 4-0, and and it's pretty impressive to be able to put 30 points up. You're down. You're starting two wide receivers. Uh, Devontae Adams did not play. Alan Lazard didn't play. And so uh, they didn't have Mercedes Lewis, their tight, starting tight end. So down that, and they get 30 points and a 30-16 to 16 victory. So the Packers are 4-0 and oh, and are fighting for that top seed along with Seattle in the NFC. Uh, so they remain undefeated. Aaron Rodgers is really bouncing back after the selection and the trade-up that Green Bay did to get Jordan Love. Kind of, I'm not rubbing it in the face, but you can see that he's on a mission right now. So you kind of wonder, it's like uh, it could be an interesting matchup if it's going to be Green Bay and Seattle. A lot of history there. And uh, right now, I mean, the way Russell Wilson's playing, the way Aaron Rodgers playing, they're really taking the league to a different level. Number five, 2-2. And Stanton lifts a fly ball, center field, deep and gone. A grand slam for Stanton. And that'll blow it open here in the ninth inning. The Yankees now lead 9-3. 
So baseball playoffs uh, go in there, and the Yankees and the Astros won. The Yankees getting the 9-3 to victory as Giancarlo Stanton gets a grand slam home run tonight to put games out of reach. Houston then comes back, and they blow out the A's 10-5. to Carlos Correa hit two home runs to lead the Astros. Nobody's happy about that. Now, today, you're going to have all four series going underway in the National League. It's going to be Atlanta and Miami. Uh, uh, they'll square off in Houston. The late game is going to be the Padres and the Dodgers. Uh, you can hear the game tonight between the Padres and the Dodgers. It'll be at 7 p.m. It'll be here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So the uh, Astros get the victory, and, of course, they want to try to rub that in, You know, particularly with all the people and players and everybody around the league that hate them for the cheating that they did through the years. But, hey, say what you want. They were able to beat the A's and continue to win and maybe see if they can get to the National the American League uh, championship round and see where they go there. Listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about the adjustments made in the Seahawks' defense in what they did against Miami. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. And, of course, uh, what you see is the defense getting a little bit better uh, getting that victory over the uh, Miami Dolphins. And, of course, the big thing, they only allowed one touchdown drive. Certainly improvements need to be made on third down stoppage. And, you know, they still got to tighten up some of the coverage. But, again, it was progress against an easier team, and I think that did help out. But one thing that uh, did come in was the fact that there was injuries. Quentin Dunbar did not play because of a knee injury. You know, they were down to their third string uh, safety because – you got uh, Jamal Adams out with a groin injury. You know, Leno Hill had the uh, back problem. And so Ryan Neal had to come in there and play. And, of course, you know, they didn't have Marquise Blair because he ended up uh, getting on the IR for an AACL tear. Then, uh, you know, they didn't have Jordan Brooks. But nevertheless, you know, they still had enough youth and speed and all that stuff to come in there and do well. And they had to adjust the defense. And I know Jake Heaps was explaining some of the things that he saw in some of the adjustments on defense. What adjustments did the Seahawks defense make against the Dolphins? Well, a simple adjustment that they made is one that they stressed all week long. And, and Pete Carroll alluded to it, and that's where I was uh, saying before the game at, at the end of the week on Thursday and Friday is, look, you don't have Jamal Adams out on the field. You're going to take less risk. You're not going to bring pressure nearly as much. And what they did was they played their base cover three man-to-man defense. And they all and, and they you know mixed it up with some cover too, but they really played into the base of their defense. They not base personnel, but just their base schemes. They kept everything extremely simple. They kept everything in front and really didn't allow any of the young players that were filling in to to be confused as to what they were running, who they had. They just ran their base stuff, and it really worked out well for them. I don't anticipate that necessarily being the case moving forward, especially when you get Jamal Adams in the lineup, but uh, it certainly was a recipe for success uh, against the Dolphins. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that's the smart thing to do. Just be simple. Don't make it too complicated. Uh, You're seeing Dallas, for example, they made it too complicated for the players, and the players just aren't responding. And, uh, you know, uh, you've seen that maybe in Baltimore uh, when they played Kansas City. I think they got a little bit too complicated. And so the simple thing is make it, uh, you know, make it a little bit easier so the players don't end up getting lost or don't end up having the problems that they had. And so, uh, you know, they kept things in front of them. I guess in a lot of ways, 
plays, you can see us somewhat like the defense that they played last year in the sense that uh, a little bit more zone, not as much man, uh, but they wanted to try to keep it simple. And, of course, that's the smart thing to do. I know, Curtis Rogers, when you look at the defense and sometimes you know you get a little too complicated, it takes away because now you're thinking more than playing. Yeah, and I think the Seahawks on Sunday were very instinctual in how they played. They did not look like they were overthinking much. Uh, they, I think they only had, what, about four big plays allowed against against Miami, which is a significant drop-off to where they were against Dallas and New England. I think they were among the league leaders, or, well, league one of the lowest-ranked teams in terms of uh, explosive plays allowed. I think they had allowed the most in the NFL. So it, it didn't look like the Seahawks were doing much in terms of, of complicating things, and I think that played into their favor, especially because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback that for as long as he's been in the NFL, he's been somebody that turns it over. He's going to throw those 50-50 balls, and, and a few of them came down in the Seahawks' favor. A lot of them came down to the point where Pete Carroll was disappointed that they didn't get more interceptions. I think he said they could have had five on the game uh, on Sunday. So, uh, I mean, you look at what the Seahawks did against Miami, and, and they're going up against Kirk Cousins, who who protects the ball a lot better than Ryan Fitzpatrick does. But Kirk Cousins, to me, John, is not a quarterback that – is going to put the fear of God into the Seahawks' defense, and I think he's somebody that I think Seattle can take advantage of. And as Brady Henderson pointed out yesterday, his his record in primetime games is about the exact opposite as, as Seattle's. Oh, yeah, no, in fact, he's one of the worst in primetime games as far as record. And, you know, uh, and he's and it's interesting because, I mean, they've played each other, Minnesota and Seattle, so much, and Cousins has been able to play Seattle a lot. But, again, the advantage always seems to go to Seattle. But, again, you can't take it too easy. Uh, certainly there's been a bunch of change. They have some offensive line issues. But I, I think, you know, I think they'll be a little bit more aggressive now. I think the big decision that Pete Carroll has to make, do you play Jamal Adams? Uh, and I th- kind of get the feeling that they may just give him a pass and give him an extra week off, you know, going with Neil and you know they have uh, Demarius Randall they can bring back and try to get him back on the field you know we'll see if Lano Hill's going to be able to go but again keeping it simple I think was the right thing to do so basically cover one cover three uh, keep the safety back and all that stuff but the big thing keeping everything in front of them and trying to minimize the number of big plays allowed when you look at the challenges Minnesota presents Seattle's defense on Sunday. Obviously, they're a better offense than what Miami brought forth. I mean, you've got Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook in the backfield, Adam Thielen, we know what he can do. Justin Jefferson has been a a really solid rookie for them. Uh, Do you think Seattle can get by going with a similar formula that that brought them success against Miami, or or are they going to have to change things up as as the weeks go on just to kind of game plan against each opponent? Yeah, I think that uh, they, they need to keep changing it because, again, if you go into one pattern right now, you know, unless it's going to be just you know go straight man and try to rush. I mean, again, they can they can do that if they can just rely totally on the four-man rush, but uh, they're still not there yet. They are getting better pressure. They're doing better as far as you know getting to the quarterback. I mean, that's something I think you can see. Benson Mayo is doing a good job. They're getting some things out of Alton Robinson. O.J. Collier's doing well. But, uh, you know, it's until they can get that stage, you know, and again, they won't equal what happened in 2013. They're not going to be, you know, rush forward, drop seven back, and play whatever they want to play. So I think until they get that defensive line 
playing at a high level against the pass. You know, they just kind of kind of mix it up week in and week out. Well, and speaking of the defense, John, we mentioned it in the top five, and the, you know, the news has been out there for a couple of hours now. Uh, you've got Damon Harrison coming in for his visit today. You've also got Michael Kendricks, mm-hmm. a name many Seahawks fans are very familiar with. He spent the last two years on Seattle's defense. John, when you look at what both of those guys offer, which do you think would be more helpful to Seattle's defense in 2020? Do you think it'll be Snacks or, or is it Michael Kendricks? I'd say uh, Snacks because you know he's that big run-stopping uh, defensive tackle, and you know the big thing is even if he doesn't start, he makes it a little bit easier for Puna Ford and makes it a little bit easier for uh, you know Jaron Reed because again it's like in the game about uh, you know two weeks ago, I think uh, you had to have. Uh, read out there for about 65 plays and certainly you didn't want to do that on Sunday at 87 degree heat and uh, you know 75 percent humidity uh, there in the uh, in Miami so uh, this of course you don't have to worry about it here because it's not going to be that type of weather or anything of that nature but nevertheless I think you just basically you know do do the best you can as far as doing that but I I think Snacks Harrison because again he's that big body and again a guy has played at a very high level and you know Kendricks they've always liked I mean, he's come here and he's done such a good job in the time that he's here that uh, you can see, uh, you know, they're still injured. I didn't know if they wanted to bring him back. I think they wanted to check out the knee. And I think, you know, he, he liked it here. I mean, again, uh, he's, you know, was able to sign one year deals and all those different things. And we'll see if they do sign him. Do they put him on the practice squad or do they put him on the roster? Yeah, I've, obviously he liked it here, and I think the Seahawks really liked him too because they made it a point to keep him out on the field for so many plays last year. They they ran their base defense like crazy in, in 2019, and that was a, a big reason why is because they had a lot of confidence in what Michael Kendricks brought to that defense. Um, but, you know, he's a year removed from another season-ending injury. He's had two season-ending injuries, I think, in his time here in Seattle. So you kind of wonder what he, they've got in store for him, but – uh, either one, John, I don't think it's going to be a bad move. Do you, do you think it will be a, a, a case of they sign one, both, or, or neither? Well, I think you know what it could come down to is that uh, you know Kendricks hasn't had a job, uh, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised because remember, I mean this this team, despite the injuries, still have seven linebackers. They had seven linebackers. They obviously they've lost Bruce Irvin and they have uh, Jordan Brooks with his knee injury, and so uh, that's kind of shortened the list a little bit, but. But uh, I would have to think that wouldn't be a bad idea to get him on the practice squad because, again, you can bring him up with necessary. That next injury is one that uh, you know could cause problems. I mean, Shaquem Griffin you know, has been doing some good things, kind of running around the field as a linebacker, maybe a little bit as a pass rusher. But, no, I think that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Kendricks, because, if, again, he likes it uh, and you know, wants to get parked as far as being on a team, and this is a team that he likes. Yeah, good point bringing up that practice squad because, you know, it's an extended practice squad this mm-hmm. year, and I think a lot of people forget that, oh, yeah, you can you can use that as, as sort of a, a fail-safe if something goes wrong on your roster. Now with those added spots, it could work in the Seahawks' advantage. It could. Hey, by the way, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to check in with Jake Heaps, talk some defense, talk some offense. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
And joining us is Jake Heaps. And so, Jake, uh, 4-0 start for the Seahawks. Uh, you know, the offense continues to just dazzle, uh, and the defense so, showing some signs, and I know they played Miami, of getting a little bit better, though. Yeah, absolutely, John. And, and I think with this group, it's been fun to watch offensively them be able to take a new approach here in four weeks and really shine and really be able to take this offense to a level that I think we all thought and knew they was capable of, but we didn't know offensive philosophy-wise if they would ever really take it in this direction, and they have. And you can clearly see that it was the right decision, the right move. Um, this group is really clicking on all cylinders. The offensive line play, I think, has certainly helped them uh, continue to go in this direction with how they they have played. Um, and so you and you also see Russell Wilson just playing at an unbelievable level. Uh, he's been making great plays, making great throws, but just making great decisions. Uh, I think has really been what stood out to me the most, John, about Russ's play, and and that is a part of it: you know, making good decisions at the line of scrimmage, getting them in the right plays. And so uh, the Seahawks always seem to be an advantage on offense. Now on the defense side, it's a little bit different. Uh, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the yardage that they've given up, saw a stat that uh, today that they have given up uh, 500 more yards than any other team uh, to opposing receivers, which is not a stat you love to see, but they're 4-0, John. And, and the thing that this defense has done is they've been opportunistic. They have made big plays in big moments. And I think the biggest key to it and the reason why they've been 4-0 is because the defense – has made these turnovers, these opportune turnovers, and the offense has directly converted those into points. And those are huge swing moments in a game. So although it hasn't been pretty, and there's certainly things that you can point out and say, hey, X, Y, and Z is not right and they need to fix it, they have certainly been the contributors to helping this team win, uh, you know, maybe contrary to what some people may think. Well, and that's the thing. I, I keep on preaching this, and I don't know if anybody seems to listen, but this is the league right now. I mean, you look in the NFC where you got 13 yep. quarterbacks with uh, you know vast experience, not more than three years of experience, 12 of those quarterbacks making $21-plus million, and everybody, I mean, in the NFC, you're, av- you're giving up 27 points a game. I mean, you know, you got uh, only maybe, what, three teams that are scoring less than 23 points a game? In the NFC, and it's like, and uh, you know, you saw the start of the season with the three quarterbacks this team faced, and you're you're going to give up yards, you're going to give up points, but again, it's not mm-hmm. as meaningful because the teams had double digit leads. Correct, and and that has really been the key to success here, and hopefully the Seahawks are able to keep maintaining that. The one thing that you look at this Miami Dolphin game that is going to be the key for this defense moving forward, and I really was. Uh, adamant about this and really felt that Pete Carroll and this defensive staff was going to go in this direction, especially when you knew that Jamal Adams was going to be out, is they were going to make things a little bit more simplistic on defense. They weren't going to, you know, be crazy with their blitzing schemes and like they have been the first three weeks that they were going to play more of their uh, base coverage and really put an emphasis on staying on top, keeping everything in front and making teams earn it down the field. Uh, and that's exactly what they were able to do against the Miami Dolphins. It wasn't pretty. I would have loved to have seen them be a little bit better on third downs. But overall, when it, once again, when you talk about bend but don't break, that's the strategy of this defense, and that's what you have to do 
right now as the way the game is being played in the NFL, especially in 2020, as you just rattled off all those statistics, John, it's very evident that this is an offensive-driven league more than any other year. And they have to limit red zone scoring. They have not been great at that the first three weeks of the season. Last week, they only gave up one touchdown, forced field goals. To me, that was that was a huge difference in the game. Um, and, and then once again, pointing out that in the two interceptions that the Seahawks were able to create, immediately the offense turned that around and turned it into points, allowing them to gain those leads or gain those lead changes. And that's the way that I think the Seahawks have to continue to keep playing, uh, at least defensively, in order for them to uh, be successful this season. And the best thing, John, is they're doing it with all these injuries with some of their key guys. And I truly believe that this group will continue to get better over the course of the year. Uh, and I think that that's the exciting part. They're 4-0, and and yet there's still so much improvement for this group. And, of course, I mean, and that's the thing that's going to be starting to come up <clears throat> is that uh, the schedule at some point is going to get a lot easier. Now it got easy a little bit with Miami. Uh, interesting game coming up against Minnesota, but they seem to be very beatable with their defense just getting destroyed. And then uh, then they come back from the bye week and they start division play with Arizona and San Francisco and all those teams. And so, but after a while, when you start to play some of these young quarterbacks, you know, particularly in the NFC East and the AFC East, there's a big advantage for the Seahawks defense. Absolutely. I mean, John, think about this in terms of the schedule, and you don't want to get ahead of yourself too much here, but if you just split, let's say you just split with everybody in your division and you lose to the Bills. I mean, we're talking about a 12-4 and four team mm-hmm. with the way that the schedule is shaking up. I mean, it, this is a fantastic opportunity for the Seahawks. And, and that's why, to me, I, I said last week, these next two games, the importance of these next two games, being Miami last week and Minnesota this week, are huge. Because if they can take care of business this next week, go 5-0 and into the bye week, they really set themselves up for the opportunity to not just win the division pretty easily, in my opinion, but also to have a tremendous shot for the NFC number one seed. It really seems like at this point, John, it's going to be an arms race. It seems like it's going to be one of those Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa type of seasons between Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson uh, and Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks in terms of win-losses and how these two quarterbacks are playing each and every single week. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's uh, that's and that's and uh, that's the surprise is, you know, New Orleans, uh, they're off to a 2-2 two and two start. And so I thought they were going to be maybe the top seed in the NFC. And now that's in jeopardy. And technically, they're one game behind Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how this is shaped up. And and then you look at the Cardinals dropping a game to the, the Carolina Panthers. You look at the 49ers doing the same thing to the, to the Eagles. These are all still really good teams that will be very tough when it comes to division play. No question about that. But like I said, if you split with every team in your division, which I, it could be a possibility, but I don't think it's likely with the way the Seahawks are playing offensively and, and getting better defensively. Um, you're looking at a, a, a really fun uh, regular season and an opportunity to really set yourself up with, with great seeding here in the playoffs. So, I, I, John, I just really love how this has all come together for the Seahawks. You know, the first four weeks, do they have improvements? Absolutely, they do defensively. Um, I see a lot of hand-wringing that people want to do mm-hmm. as Seahawks fans, and I get it. Uh, you want to see your team be its best, but 
you got to enjoy these wins. It is so hard to win in the NFL, and and especially in this unique season. And so enjoy it. And and you know the coaching staff, this group is motivated to get better. They know the problems. They see the problems. They're continuing to work on it. Um, but just think about this, John. Getting these guys, getting Jamal Adams, getting uh, getting uh, Brooks back. Uh, getting Quentin Dunbar back at some point will help your defense. And this offense isn't even at full strength yet, crazy enough, because you still have yet to see Philip Dorsett and you still have yet to see Josh Gordon reinstated if he, if he ever does. But if you add those two guys to this group, I mean, it, it's it, your offense becomes even more explosive. So it, it's I think you're sitting pretty good if you're Russell Wilson, you know, Pete Carroll, John Schneider right now as you're as you're looking at the remainder of the season can can russell wilson sustain the play that he has yes yes he can that's been a question that has popped up quite a bit and i think when you look at this year in particular john it is one that is shaped up offensively to be very favorable but two the way russell is playing is outstanding in the sense that as i said earlier the thing that has impressed me the most about Russ, because we've seen Russ make these plays, we've seen him make these throws. These are these are unusual things for Russell Wilson. But what is is the fact that the this offense has been aggressive on first and second down, and he has been making fantastic decisions. Um, and and uh, I watched the film against Miami, and there are four plays that if the receiver catches the ball or he makes the right adjustment you know, things like that that they're supposed to do. I mean, we're talking about Russell having a, you know, another four touchdown passing effort uh, with, you know, 80 plus percent completion percentage. So the guy is playing lights out, he's dialed in. um, And and so I, I think that when you're talking about moving forward, the big question is, as they start to face better pass rushing units, how is this offensive line going to protect it? As long as this offensive line continues to play at the level that they are right now, I think you're going to see Russell Wilson continue to light up the league. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that uh, is so interesting. And, of course, D.K. Metcalf continues to be a superstar at 25 yards a catch, making the big catches. Tyler Lockett, what, 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 uh, what do you see right now as far as Tyler Lockett? He's not been as productive as he had in the first, uh, say, oh, two or three games. Yeah, really what I see from Tyler is an interesting role for, for him that's developed. He's still the same player, uh, and he's still getting the same opportunities. But DK has really taken over in the sense of being the big play weapon down the field um, and being a, a legitimate mismatch problem for everybody. So, you know, Tyler, I think, has taken on the initial brunt of the NFL season, meaning that I think a lot of the attention was still focused on him the first four weeks of the season, uh, whereas DK was getting a lot of single coverage. You may see that change and morph a little bit as the season goes on. And, and Tyler, you'll see, get more one-on-one matchup situations. But Tyler's still the security blanket for Russell Wilson. No question asked about that. And so uh, the way I see this year going is Tyler's probably going to have more receptions than DK, um, but DK probably is going to continue to have more yardage, bigger plays, um, and maybe end up with more touchdowns. But I, I still think these two guys are the best receiver combination in the NFL with just how well they complement each other and the two roles that they play for Russell Wilson. Hey, so what are you having to show today? Uh, we are going to be you know, diving into kind of the, the look of 
the Seahawks and Green Bay Packers, how this is shaping up, um, and, and kind of talking about the overall message that you you and I talked about, John. Of you know, hey, this defense, everybody, it, it, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's been it's been rough, and I'm and I understand the the big numbers and, and worried about all those things, but uh, I think this is a group that's going to be able to turn things around. Hey, Jake, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me. And of course, I'll be on with uh, Jake and everybody at uh, 2 o'clock, uh, so be there for that. Be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll check out what's going on in the National Football League as we go behind the lines. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, Mohamed Sanu let go by the San Francisco 49ers. I guess that's <coughs> news in the sense that they're getting a little healthier on the uh, wide receiving core. So uh, that's that's going to be over. But, boy, I tell you what, the roster change in the 49ers has just been remarkable this year because of all the injuries. And so uh, they've had injuries at wide receiver. They've had injuries and in the uh, in the secondary. I think they're going to get Richard Sherman back uh, this week. But uh, this team is really battered up in a 2-2 two and two and particularly a bad loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. And now you, you can look back and say a bad loss to the uh, Arizona Cardinals. You know, they're they're rapidly falling in trouble. And, you know, I, I think the way things are in the NFC, uh, Curtis, is that you don't want to fall behind because if you're in the NFC – pretty much week in and week out in the NFC games, at least, you're facing a very good quarterback. You're yeah. facing a quarterback that is a pro bowler. Or he's been in the league many years, and he's making a lot of money. Yeah, and, and you look at the 49ers' upcoming schedule, John. They get a bit of a reprieve this week against Miami at home, but get a load of this uh, gauntlet they're facing. they got the Rams on October 18th at home, at New England, at Seattle, at home against Green Bay, at New Orleans, at L.A., at home against Buffalo. That's October through December. Mm -hmm. There is no time to catch their breath at all during that. I mean, they do get a bye somewhere in there, but that is a that is not enviable if you're uh, any other team besides the 49ers. I'll say that. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's the thing I think, find so interesting is you look at their closing schedule uh, for the final 12 games. It's a 646 schedule, the second toughest in football, and that's you know in part because you know they've had the easy games early for the most part. They still have to play the first place schedule because they won the division last year. So that means they have to play Green Bay and they have to play New Orleans. <clears throat> Those aren't going to be easy. When you look at Seattle, you know, with the games that they've played, they got the seventh easiest schedule at 448 because <clears throat> they played, you know, three top quarterbacks so far. And then they get the easier game against Miami. And so that's a big advantage. And that's why <clears throat> if you can get this victory over the uh, Minnesota Vikings and be 5-0, and I know we just talked to Jake about this. That means they have a decent chance because I think they'll have trouble in Buffalo. But if you can go nine and one in your non-division games, uh, and I, you know, I know he was talking about three and three, but I think they can go four and two. That's a thirteen-win season. Yeah, thirteen wins will get you home field advantage. I would say about ninety percent of the time. And I don't know if there's anybody else in the NFC that's capable of a fourteen and two or fifteen and one season. Maybe Green Bay. Yeah. Uh, but right now, it looks as though the Seahawks uh, have have done themselves quite the favor getting off to this four and zero start. And uh, like Jake mentioned, I think what if if you split your games in the division and if you lose to Buffalo, that's still a twelve and four season. 
that that'll get you home field advantage. I'd say probably about sixty five seventy percent of the time. So uh, the Seahawks are in a really really good shape uh, as they head towards uh, you know a tougher part of their schedule as they get here into the divisional games, but. I look at the Seahawks right now, John, in the NFC. Green Bay last night, they put forth a great effort against Atlanta. They they pick up the victory. They're 4-0. and uh, I think it's those two teams right now, and then there's a, a pretty big gap between the next teams. And you, know, you look at the Saints, they've been off to a disappointing start here. I don't know in the NFC if there's really a, a team that jumps out that can challenge Green Bay or Seattle. No, I agree. I think that's where they're in such good shape. Uh, and that's why you take care of business. And, you know, where everybody's all worried about, oh, boy, they're giving up too many yards and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's it goes back to some of the original, you know, comments that had been made. It's like, well, it's clowny or bust. It's like you don't have clowny in the team. You're not going to be able to win. But sure enough, this team has been able to win and do it. Sure, they give up way too many yards. The third down stops need to get better. But I think that everything seems to be in really good shape. Yeah, really, really good shape. Someone who's not, uh, or at least their job prospects, not in good shape, that'd be Bill O'Brien. He got his walking papers yesterday uh, with the Texans after their 0-4 start. Another 0-4 team would be Atlanta and Dan Quinn. Uh, this coming off a year where they went 1-7 to start the 2019 season. John... I mean, it doesn't seem like Atlanta would gain much by firing Dan Quinn right now, but do you think he survives their next game, or is this somebody that's going to join Bill O'Brien on the unemployment line? Uh, I think that the the owner, Arthur Blank, would stand by uh, Dan at least through the season, but it would have to happen after the season. But uh, it's not going well. And that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, we always come up with the idea of the coach's hot seat, right, And which is very viable. And I was just looking at it, and if you have eight coaches on the hot seat, Guess how many? What the record is? Five and twenty-seven Oof. is the record of all the coaches that are on the hot seat. You know, from zero and four, Adam Gaze. You know, zero and four, Bill O'Brien getting fired. Zero and four, Dan Quinn. I mean, you know, we got even Anthony Lynn at one and three. You know, that's not looking good. And so, a lot of coaches. And again, last year there was five coaching changes. Now this year, I think when you have a year where there's only four or five, there's usually you know eight to maybe ten or eleven the very next year. So I think that uh, you can see you don't want to be a coach because again, if you're an NFC coach and you're behind right now, you're not going to catch up. It's going to be too tough because this the schedule is so tough with all the quarterbacks in this conference, particularly in an offensive year. And that's why you, know, you don't want to be in a bad position if you're an offensive or if you're a head coach that uh, is getting off to a slow start because I don't think you're going to be able to come back. You can do it in the AFC, but I don't think you can do it in the NFC. Yeah, I don't think you can either. And just wh- why would a team fire a coach in week four when you can't really interview anybody outside of your own organization or or if they're a free agent coach out there? It really kind of limits your reach as to who you can can pick as a candidate. Uh, wh- why do the why do you think the Texans did it now? Uh, I think they're just so fed up with the way things are, and Bill's kind of a bombastic type of person. And I think what it came down to is that uh, you know not only uh, you don't know what moves he's going to make, and you know I think that uh, the owner of the team, Bob McNair's son, uh, was was afraid of him because again he'll just yell in your face and all that stuff. But I think that you know he had lost the locker room, and I think that there were so many things that were so negative that they just wanted to get that. I remember somebody in the organization telling me a couple years ago that you know everybody 
anybody in the building. You know, had a, it was a miserable life with him as the uh, boss because, again, he's always yelling and shouting. So I think that they wanted that change. But is it going to benefit the team? Probably not. I think this is going to be a lost season. You know, they've got a $238 million payroll and highest in the league, and they're 0-4. And, you know, they paid $39 million for Deshaun Watson a year, and he's having his worst year. So change is there, and we'll see how it goes. In fact, we'll talk uh, to Sean Salisbury about this, the firing of Bill O'Brien. Coming up next, we'll go four downs. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.